let me tell you about my new favorite product that has become a staple in my routine and a staple in my refrigerator. That is Magic Mind. This episode is sponsored by Magic Mind, and I absolutely love this product. It is something that helps me optimize my performance, increase productivity, and most importantly, in my book, reduce stress. This two-ounce dose of motivation, as noted by Forbes, is something that I take first thing in the morning before tackling my most difficult tasks And what it does is it puts me into a flow state where I really feel calm, in control, and in the zone. I'm able to maintain this flow state from the morning all the way until the late stages of the afternoon when I previously found myself struggling the most. I love Magic Mind because of the mix of ingredients that are in it that help increase your focus and attention including L-theanine, and in addition, my favorite ingredient, ashwagandha, which works to decrease stress and low-grade anxiety by lowering your cortisol levels. So if you're someone that is looking to increase your productivity, get into a flow state, get into the zone without drinking tons of coffee that's going to make you crash later, if you're someone that really wants to reduce stress as well, Magic Mind is the product and is your dose of magic to give you all of those things. If you want to give this product a test, then use the code WIN today. Visit magicmind.co slash WIN today. And for the next 10 days, that is going to give you 40% off of a subscription in addition to 20% off of a one-time purchase. So increase your productivity, get into a flow state, reduce your stress, go to the next level, check out Magic Mind, magicmind.co slash win today. This will also be available in the show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Win Today podcast. My name is Ryan Cass, and I am your host. Our mission is to inspire people to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. This is episode number 21 on season two, and we are honored to be joined by George Achampong. He is the founder of Melanin Money, in addition to the CEO and managing partner of Capital Wise. George, been following you for a while. Loved having the opportunity to meet you recently and learn from you. And I am thrilled that you are here with us today. Well, thanks so much, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I want to start this off before we get into what you do and the genesis of how you got into what you're doing in the finance space. I really like to connect with people on at the heart level first and understand, take all of the titles away. What is something that is not on your resume or not on your website that you're really proud of? Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm a father, right? So four, four and a half months, four and a half months ago, uh, brought my son into the world and, um, you know, that's probably the most exciting thing that, that I've ever done. 
um, is, is being his dad. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you think about all the accolades, like you said, you know, podcast this, financial revenue that. Um, the most thing, the most important thing I'm excited about right now is being a dad. I love that. And I love to ask that question now. It's actually something that I picked up from our mutual friend, Kyle, that the mm-hmm. first time I interviewed him on the podcast, he's been on here a couple of times, but okay. I read off Kyle's rap sheet and because I didn't know him as well the first time. And mm-hmm. he said, all right, all that stuff is cool, CEO, and I've written seven books, et cetera. But what I want you to know about me first and foremost is that I'm a father and a man of God. And I think in this world that we live in, it's easy to look at all of these titles, but hey, What's what's really behind all of that? What do you what really drives you and what are you proud of? So I right. love that. I love what you mentioned and congrats on your first Father's Day. Thank you. And Appreciate that. That's Appreciate awesome. That. So love to see where 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 people really are at the heart. So I want to get into the genesis of what you do. With okay. Melon and Money, you you know, you have a mission to well, we'll get into the collective mission, but mm-hmm. I'd like to understand what was the genesis of you getting into the uh, finance world, personal finance. And if I remember correctly from my research on you, you also started in this space at a very challenging time, 09, right? Yeah. So yeah. what led you to mm-hmm. it? How'd you get into it and go from there? Yeah. So uh, I graduated college in 09. Um, and so at that time I was graduating marketing and economics. And honestly, I had really no intention of doing anything with the economics side of my degree. It was just like, all right, well, I feel like my family could benefit from somebody knowing a little bit about uh, money and how, how it all works. And so I was like, let me get this just for that purpose, right? Just to educate myself, not to make a career out of it. And I had the intention of leveraging my marketing degree. Uh, I interned the entire time I was in school at Coca-Cola Thank everybody, unless you've been sleeping under a boulder, know who Coca-Cola is, even if you don't drink it anymore. Um, and so that was you know, who I thought I was going to be working with, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, and so when I graduated at that time, and, and maybe we'll see as we, you know, talks of a recession are now around the corner, but at least at that time, marketing was viewed as a luxury or at least certain aspects of it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, especially the brand awareness side, obviously, you know, not to get into the nuances of marketing, but you have different layers of marketing. Right. But you know, there's certain aspects that seem like a luxury. And so, you know, being that what I would have been doing, um, they felt like wasn't essential, right? Which is a term that became more prevalent to us during the pandemic, right? Essential and non-essential workers. Um, I guess the marketing that I was going to be doing wasn't viewed as essential. And so they ultimately decided to table the role that I was supposed to have. They said, hey, you can still stay on as an intern. I'm like, well, I'm about to have, you know, a real adult bills and I can't stay on as an intern, um, and so I had to figure something out. I was like, well, I got this economics degree. You know, I'm I'm kind of oblivious, right, uh, to the fact that, uh, you know, all that's happening in the world um, and in the industry or sector that kind of, you know, spearheaded that those issues. And so I'm thinking, all right, it should be easy to find a job in, with this economics degree. And so I go searching and, um, you know, it was easy, right, to find what I thought was a job, which really ended up being what, 100% commission-based, eat what you kill, financial services role. I had no idea. I'm like, because I had all these interviews I was going through. I'm thinking like, man, that put me through the ringer. Like, I'm, I must, you know, this must be a really serious position. 
And so, you know, I go through all that and I get hired only to realize, I think I was, I was there for like two weeks and I was like, yo, so like, where's the paycheck? And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, well, you get paid when you produce. I'm like, what do you mean? I've been working for 80 hours. That's, isn't that producing? It was like, no, <laughs> you got to bring in business and bring in clients. So um, long story short, you know, that's kind of how I got my start. I got, I got tricked into thinking I had a job and it wasn't a job, but I was young. I was 23 at the time. And you know, didn't have a lot of responsibilities. So, you know, I was able to kind of skim my teeth and make it work and, you know, fast forward to now. Um, and, and, and it all kind of worked out, I guess you could say. So planned on going into marketing, didn't work out, recession killed that. And I've got to get a job. So ended up in financial services, mm-hmm. didn't get the paycheck every other Thursday. And so mm-hmm. talk about that learning process and when, when did you start bringing in money and were you responsible for insurance policies or just getting people to invest in the firm that you were representing? Like, how did that right, work and right. what was your learning process like? Yeah. So once I realized that I wasn't getting a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks, I had to really adjust my mindset, right? And understand that, well, number one, I guess the way I like to put it is keep your highs low and your lows high. Right. I think I might have said this when I when I was at the uh, talk with Kyle and that was a quintessential uh, learning lesson for me, because, you know, being an entrepreneur, it is true that you can make as much as you want to make and have unlimited income potential. All those things are true, but it's also true that you could have a dry spell or, you know, have lose momentum or things just not going according to plan. And so when I had months or times where I made, you know, quote unquote, decent money or what I considered decent money at the time, I would make sure that I leveled off what I was personally taking home as an individual. Right. Um, And so let's just say, let's call it $4,000 a month is what George was entitled to, but the business, you know, that was a totally different story. And so what that allowed me to do is that when I had ebbs and flows and cash flow, I was still able to still maintain my lifestyle because I was only spending a set amount um, that wasn't reflective of the money, all the money that was, that was in my account. Right. Versus, you know, I remember distinctively, it was like one month I made, and this is a lot of money back then. It's like 23, like $19,000 in one month. And then I think another month, it was a summer and everybody's on vacation and nobody wanted to talk about personal finance. And I think I made like $190 or something, right? <laughs> and so it was like, yo, where's the money? Um, and so like, I just really helped me understand like, okay, you have to keep your lows high and your highs low to be able to weather the storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. And that's a great line there too. And I was actually, I heard you say that on a podcast with David Shands and it was one okay. of those moments where I had to rewind it again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hold on a minute. Highs low, lows high. Mm, you know, off the tongue and, and right. hearing that you're like, wait, I want to have all the highs in the world. But in that mm-hmm. sense, it's really talking about your discipline. That's what I right. relate it to. 100%. Now, did you have any learning moments with that? Oh, absolutely. And, and times where you didn't follow that rule. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the beginning. So here's the funny thing about, and I know my entrepreneurs will resonate with this. So the thing about entrepreneurship or really just any time when you're not like exactly where you want to be financially, right? What happens is you kind of, you know, you're not there, you're not there. Then you have like a breakthrough, right? You have like a big month or whatever. And then you feel like I got to celebrate right? I got to celebrate because <laughs> I've been working so hard and, you know, I haven't been able to do what I want to do because you haven't had the money. So 
psychologically, you're playing catch up. It's like, well, I haven't been able to do this for three months. And so I'm going to go up, I'm going to buy drinks for everybody. I'm going to do this, whatever your, whatever your thing is. Right. But the, the, the thing that people don't realize is let's say that like, there is a three month period where like money really isn't flowing. So that means those are bills or certain things that might've gotten overlooked or that you couldn't keep up with or whatever the case may be. So really whatever that amount of money is that you got that felt like such a lump sum in reality, if you spread it out over the three months that you weren't really, wasn't really flowing, it's probably just enough or maybe a little bit less than you would actually have needed had you been making consistent income over that time period. So what ends up happening is you get in this vicious cycle of like highs, lows, highs, lows, and you never get out of it. And so for me, what happened was I had one of those months, I was like, I was doing really good. And I like, I think I went out and, and, you know, I was buying drinks for everybody and I went shopping and got some, got myself some uh, new suits and it was just, it was a mess. Um, but again, 23, 24 at the time, didn't know any better. And then of course, like I said, that next month, it, it didn't really flow like that. And so I spent, you know, based upon what I had at that time, it wasn't, didn't understand forecasting, didn't understand the analogy that I just gave you. And so I was hurting that next mm-hmm. month. And I think we've also all been at that point where you're looking at something you spent money on when you're kind of like down on your financial luck and you're like, man, I wish I would have never bought that. Right. Cause whatever <laughs> value is it, it, you thought it gave you then you could care less about it now when you have bigger fish to fry, you got bills to pay things of that nature. So definitely had a learning lesson or two um, when it came to, to being able to adopt that, that mindset, that discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can envision that right now. And thinking, you know, if I was 23 or 24 and you put a $10,000 check in my hand or $20,000 check, whatever the number is, I can imagine the things that I would have wanted to do. Well, actually I had student debt, so I probably just would have paid off all my student debt, but take that away. But, you know, I would have definitely been thinking about, hey, what fun can I go have right now? Yeah, I actually actually remember like, because the bank, whoever like they banked with the company that I was working with at the time, it's like this smaller bank. And like, you had to like literally go get the check cash and then go deposit it in your bank. And I went like at four 30 and of course, like the banks close at five or something like that. And so <laughs> by the time I got the money, I didn't have enough time to go back to my bank. So I'm sitting here with like, in this one instance, like eight or $9,000 in cash, which again, at the time, well, even now, like I, who cares about eight or $9,000 cash, right? But I had like all this cash on me and then I was supposed to be going out of town. And so I had the cash with me. And I just remember like going out that night and just like spending unnecessary money and then going to the bank, I think that next morning or that following Monday with a lot less than I intended to deposit (laughs) the first time. So yeah, I have some, some funny stories uh, from those times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I loved hearing it on, on the podcast with David, you kind of talked a little more in depth about it, but yeah, we'll, we'll jump away from that. And what I want to get into is melanin money, because mm-hmm. I want to talk about the mission of that and the genesis of that. And then definitely focus on the collective mission within you know melanin as a whole. So if you could talk yeah. about melanin, what, what it is, when you started it, why you started it, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, I have a financial planning and investment advisory firm where we work with people in a one-on-one capacity. And, you know, when I got into this industry, I knew that I wanted to impact more people. Right. So I knew that as I started to understand the business of financial planning, I knew there's only so many people that my firm could serve. Right. Even if it was a couple hundred people, they were going to kind of cap out. When I looked at that in comparison 
to how many people, you know, especially people of color that need help, guidance and assistance on their journey towards building wealth. I was like, there's got to be something that has a little more impact, a little more reach, a little more scale. And so I started out by just trying to create awareness. And so I uh, created a a physical product e-commerce brand at the time that was called Melanin Money. You know, we sold T-shirts, hats, mugs, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it was really just with the goal of creating conversation, right? Because if I could spark the conversation, then I could change the narrative. I could provide education and insight. But that was my thought process because I already had a firm, couldn't fathom like starting something, you know, different. And so that was my thought process there. But it kind of took on its own identity and people were really were resonating with the messaging. Um, we ended up doing a couple of initiatives that we still do to this day. We have like an initiative called Black Wealth Friday, where our goal is to turn the largest consumer spending day into the largest wealth creation day for people of color mm. of the year. And so like the first time we did it, we had people invest like 600,000 in collectively in like 36 hours. It was like through the Black Friday weekend. So I'm like, okay, we got something here. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit, I'm like, okay, this ecosystem, this brand of melanin money um, is resonating. And the reason why it's resonating is because as a financial advisor, when I look when I look at the statistics, especially when I started, there was not a lot of advisors of color. Um, and because there wasn't a lot of advisors of color, people of color inherently felt like, well, maybe wealth building isn't for me because there's nobody that looks like me that's advocating for it, mm-hmm. right? Now, granted, you fast forward, you know, 12 years from then, there's a lot more people who are preaching financial education, financial literacy, but at that time, there wasn't, right? And so, you know, at the time, I was really, you know, one of, I won't say the, but one of the pioneers in the space of really just trying to push that narrative forward. And I had to figure out a way on how I could do that. And so Melanin Money ultimately evolved into uh, the podcast that we have now, which we drop every single week. So whether you sign up for anything or ever become a part of the platform, we drop free game every single week to help you get to your journey, right? Every Wednesday, like clockwork. Haven't missed one since oh, since we relaunched in August of last year, right? So tap into that. Um, but we also launched a financial social network um, called the Melanin Millionaires Club, right? And so our collective mission is to help 100,000 people of color achieve their first 1 million in net worth over the next 10 years, right? Which will collectively create one, was it $100 billion of new black wealth? If my math is correct? Yeah, $100 billion of new black wealth, um, which is a huge, audacious, hairy goal. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the statistics of how many people of color there are in the United States um, and, you know, what, what the statistics are on the wealth gap, I think 100,000 is actually a conservative number, right? Quite frankly. Um, and so, you know, that is our that is our goal. And within that, obviously, you know, a lot of people will throw out buzzwords in terms of like, oh, I want to help create generational wealth or I want to do all these things. But we have a very tactical and strategic approach that we know is going to work because one, I've actually helped thousands of people already, Right. And so now we're just trying to do that at scale uh, through the Melanin Millionaires Club. So really, really excited about that. Um, And that's probably what I'm most excited about, just being able to further that mission and just, you know, see see that paradigm shift and change the narrative for a bunch of people. That was something that really stood out to me when I was researching the website. And then I've been familiar with the brand for for a little while now, just because of through knowing you and knowing Kyle. But when I was really doing my digging and then I noted one, one item where yeah, hundred getting a hundred thousand people to even invest their first $1,000 because you start, mm-hmm. you know, you got to start small. 
So right. where do you stand right now on that 100,000 number? Right. So we uh, actually have do an annual intake survey uh, to be able to kind of validate, like, because we look at it from two, two spectrums. One is personally, I care about the impact. I don't necessarily care that people know definitively that melanin money was exclusively responsible for you achieving that, right? Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a two-part data gathering survey that we do once a year. And so one a survey is to our existing community members, right? People who we know that have kind of gone through our process, our education, um, and kind of seeing where they are, right? And then two, we go and poll other communities, right? Because there are other platforms, other communities who have, you know, goals of helping ours. It might not be as specific as ours, but they do have a goal of helping educate people in some regard, whether it's through investing or personal finance or eliminating debt. And so then we can take the two surveys combine the data and see where uh, our people of color as a whole, and of course be able to segment relative to our actual community, right? And so the last time I checked for our specific community, I think we have about, I wanna say 7,400 people um, who have effectively, you know, reached some of either the micro milestones or at least $100,000 in net worth. Um, And so, and that's not even counting my actual clients who have far exceeded those goals. And so we keep our goal this year and beyond is to actually publish an annual report called the, actually I won't release the name yet. So I'd be surprised, but (laughs) produce an annual report that breaks down those numbers so that everybody can see it. Almost like, you know, if we were a publicly traded company and you wanted to see our balance sheet, right. Where we can literally break down exactly. Okay. The percentage of members who have an estate plan, percentage of members who have a 700 plus credit score, how many members have over a hundred thousand dollar net worth? How many members have crossed over the million threshold? So like, we're going to have an annual report that breaks that down so that you guys can really see like, what is the impact of this movement so that we can dispel this myth of like black wealth is going to zero by 2052, I think is the current stat. I'm like, well, I don't know. Because I have a different, I have some different math here. We know who, those who control the media control the narrative. And so that's why we have our own media outlet. So we can control the narrative and we're going to collect the data to back up that narrative so that we can really shift the mindset. Because I think what happens is when people hear those stats, a lot of people don't question like, okay, well, what's the validity of those stats? Where are they coming from? How do we know that's true? Who are they polling? Right. But when you have your own community, right, and you have your own media platform, you can combat that. And I think the same way representation matters making sure that someone that looks like you who has specific insight to how things are actually going is reporting on this information is huge when it comes to actually knowing like, okay, is this possible for me? Or is this just a hopeless situation? And I should just never start because it's nothing's going to happen. And I think it's very important for us to have that control when it comes to, you know, sharing these things, because if not, uh, you'll be led um, astray when it comes to really understanding where people are along this plight of building wealth. I love that. And I love that something you said that you're focused on the impact. Now I know that when, when it comes to goal setting, it's important to have a quantifiable measure, a measure of success, right? Right. But the bigger, <clears throat> I think the, the the greatest success is the impact that we create for for other people. Now, Absolutely. a few other things that stood out just to poke on the, or to build on the collective mission a little more. I was mm-hmm. reading through it to have collectively $300 million in savings, 750 million debts eliminated, 
and $3 billion in total investable assets. Yeah. Was that coming up with those, those measures? Sure. Is that all George or is that George and a board of directors? Like who said, okay, here's our figures. I'm just curious what that dialogue was yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, um, out of all of the things I'm really, really good at, being a visionary is 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 the greatest skill set, right? So if I had it my way, I would be able to sit in a room, maybe with with or without windows, and just think for five hours a day, right? Um, because I feel like, and I won't take credit for this, I feel like God has planted these seeds in me as a vessel to be able to carry it forward. So I'm not the ego guys like, oh, I have all the great ideas. God downloads them to me and I execute. That's it. It's that simple, right? And so, you know, for me, I, I, I wish I had a fancy answer for you, but really what happened is I sat down and of course I'm a, I'm a finance guy. So there's always a qualitative and a quantitative, you know, kind of approach to things. But I sat down and I was like, man, what would be the, what would be the target that I feel like that we can achieve that would have the greatest impact? And believe it or not, here's the crazy part. Those specific milestones as of the end of this month actually will actually be updated because that was reflective of my original goal, which was helping 30,000 people, yeah. right? Hence the 30,700 plus credit score, right? That is now since we've added 70,000 more people to that goal. Right. Because I realized I'm being even though 100,000 is conservative, 30,000 was way too conservative. Right. And so those numbers will be updated and it'll be much bigger. But to your point, um, I, when I latched onto the 30,000 number target and backed into, OK, well, what are reasonable milestones on average across the board for each person in terms of like their individual net worth or about how much debt it makes sense for them to be able to eliminate? That's how I was able to arrive at that collective number, but that number is going to change dramatically uh, at the end of this month when we re-release uh, our, our, our latest update. Now, I'd be curious, fast forwarding the clock, because I actually haven't stopped staring at that never stop dreaming sign behind you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I could ask so many questions about that alone. And, and you mentioned it mm -hmm. there that I love that you, you said your greatest skill, what you bring to the table is you're a visionary. So that hundred thousand number, if yeah. I had to guess, if we sit down and have another interview five years from now, you're going to be saying that's too conservative. That was, that number was probably too small. So yeah, what, what is your, do you have an ultimate dream tied to this or if we had to fast forward the clock, let's say, let's say it is 2050 because you already brought up 2050. What yeah. would you envision success being for this mission and the impact then? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So success for this mission would mean that, and believe it or not, that I wouldn't have to have this conversation as much because mm. we've normalized black wealth. Right. So success is that, well, this was a great movement. And while it still will remember it for, for a lifetime, the impact that Melanin Money and all the community members and everybody that was tapped into it um, and what it ultimately transpired. But it will become so normalized that there, it doesn't have to be like this huge mouthpiece around it. It'll be like, oh, well, yeah, of course, black people have wealth. Right. Of course. Like there isn't this disparity 
Um, and so if it, it sounds crazy, but like to put myself out of business, right. Um, that would, is what success would look like. It's like, well, you, I mean, having wealth as a person of color has now become just as common as the sky is blue. Right. And mm-hmm. so for me, that is what success looks like. And so because of that, you know, you have to really remove all ego from the scenario because it's like, if I do my job correctly, then I don't need a job. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And so that's what success looks like for me is that the the need for these types of conversation in this way, obviously there's a, a whole host of other things that I could have impact on or could reflect on as a result of the ripple effect of what this movement caused. Right. But the necessity of what we do would start to taper off because it's just like, it's normalized. It's reached critical mass. And, and I actually had this epiphany just believe it or not, just two weeks ago in that people oftentimes when they think about impact, they only think about the person that they're impacting directly. So if I have a conversation with you and I share a gym with you and it's like, man, like that was life changing. You come back to me two years from now, George, I ran the play on this. Now I own 300 apartment buildings, whatever. Right. Like great. But the real impact, right. It doesn't stop there because guess what? You're likely going to take this and share it with someone else and they're going to take it and they're going to share with something else and they're going to take it and they're going to share with something else. So you forget the ripple effect of your impact. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I realized that, I'm like, if we do this correctly, my number might be 100,000. But when you look at if all those 100,000 people just impact 10 people and those 10 people impact five people. And those, you know, so then you just, it starts to get crazy and bigger than I could even, that's when people say, oh my gosh, it's bigger than I could fathom, right? And so when I realized that, to, to your point, maybe in five years, the target has adjusted a little bit, but maybe not. Because now that I have that insight, it's like, okay, let me latch on to something. Let me pick a number and trust the process and trust the fact that if I do this correctly, because this information is so good, because it's so valuable, because it's paradigm shifting, because it's going to help people create legacies, right? They're going to want to share it. It's almost like if I had to cure the cancer, right? Am I going to like hold that close to the chest, (laughs) right? No, I'm probably going to tell everybody I know. And I feel like we have the cure to financial cancer, right? And so it's like, when people really can contextualize and understand this there and, and then they personally get it and have results then they're going to tell people in my hundred thousand number, the hundred thousand number in the grand scheme of things, whether I decide to go bigger or not, isn't going to matter because it's going to inherently be bigger. And so that's kind of what success looks like for me. I love that. And you hit the nail on the head with the ripple effect, compound effect that, and I often say that, if you really want to change the world, start by helping one person because you never yeah. know what that one person might do. That one person might tell a hundred and, and vice versa, right? And they keep going on and on. Right. I love referencing the speech from, have you seen the speech from Admiral uh, Bill McRaven? He gave it at the University of Texas where he says, if you want to change the world, start out by making your bed. It went viral a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I think I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about how, you know, from his time in serving in Afghanistan and the various, uh, in Iraq and various Middle Eastern uh, theaters, that, you know, the decision of one person could even impact multiple generations because in, yeah. in combat, one, you know, a soldier decides to turn left versus turn right. And by turning left, they avoided a a bomb that was planted in the ground in the right 
And now you just mm-hmm. saved multiple generations of people because those parents get to come home to their kids. And, wow. and it's just, but it goes back to one person and that right. small number gets you that big number. Yeah. So you have to believe that though. I think yeah. that's, that's the key. So for people who are listening, who maybe you have your own podcast or you have a blog or you have an IG page and you're like, man, it's easy for George to say, and again, I'm a small fry in the grand scheme of things, but it's easy for George to say he has 27,000 followers on Instagram. He has probably been podcasting for these years and blah, 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 right? The truth of the matter is we all started from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think I've archived a single post unless it was like a flyer for like an event or something on Instagram. If you go all the way back, right? Or this search by hashtag George A. Speaks, which is a whole host of other free game, by the way. <laughs> But if you just search that, you'll see, man, okay, 2013, 2012, 2011. Okay, like one, two likes, maybe no comments, right? Does it matter, right? Did I stop because I didn't have a huge audience? No, Mm -hmm. because value is value. Impact is impact, whether it's one person or a thousand people or 10,000 people. And if you can change the mind, like I think was, I don't know if Tupac is the originator of the quote, but he said, I think he is. He said, I might not change the world, but I might spark the mind, right, of the person who does or something like that, right? And so it's like, just knowing that, right, just knowing that if I'm putting out valuable content, it doesn't matter if it gets shared one time, liked one time, one comment, like just knowing that you have the chance of having that impact is huge. Do you know if we rewind 10, 15 years ago, how hard it was to be able to broadcast your message to the world? Right now, with the click of a button, one of these things, right? You can put your message can potentially be in front of millions of people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just and just literally knowing that you have that at your fingertips, you it would be disobedient to your calling to say, you know what? Well, I'm going to wait in, in, until I'm this person, until I'm this big, right? I'm going to wait to save in my best content until I get a better videographer or better. Like, no, get it out now. Because you never know who's, I'll put it like this, your obedience to your calling is tied to someone else's destiny, right? So whatever you're supposed to do, there's someone else that is directly going to be impacted by whatever it is that you're called to do. And the longer you wait, right, the longer you're impacting the change for someone else's life. And when you look at it like that, you can't afford to wait. Look at you dropping. Look at that. That's, that's some, there's some bars right there. <laughs> I love that. And, and we can, I can go really deep into that, but what I want to do is go zoom out and go to the impact and talk, and then talk a little bit about, you know, what people can do to learn more about how to manage their money and especially the mm-hmm. times we're going through right now. But one thing sure. as it relates to money and going back, you know, the mission that, <clears throat> that you're on George through melanin that's so strong and when it comes to money where do we need where should the dialogue begin and what is our greatest opportunity or what's the greatest opportunity that you see to shift the dialogue around money so people can can learn about it sooner like for me i wish that i would have learned about student loans in ninth grade or even seventh grade and i wish i would have learned mm-hmm. about an IRA, even in sixth grade, because all of that money that I was making on the side, I used to sell, I used to sell golf balls. That was my side hustle. 
Oh, nice. And had I known, hey, hey, little Ryan, I, now I did save my money, but hey, little Ryan, that 200 bucks that you just made and thinking that I was rich at 11 years old with $200, if I would have known, mm-hmm. hey, put 150 of that or even 200, because really you don't need any money when you're 11. Put right. that $200, <laughs> put that $200 in IRA right now or in in the S&P 500 right now so that by the time you're 18 and you're about to go to college, even if it was just that $200, seven years later, it would probably mm-hmm. be worth a thousand or something like that. Yeah. So what are the, where does the conversation, where should it be starting and what are the greatest opportunities that, that you see where we need to do more, do better, get people in front of this stuff earlier? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Dynamic question. So I think the first thing we have to do is we have to shift the conversation away from the money itself Mm. and focus on, I guess, the desired outcome that people want to have for their life. Um, Because here's what I mean by that. If you were to walk into my living room where I have two very nice pieces of artwork um, and you were to come over to my house, I wouldn't tell you about the hammer and nails that I use to hang the picture. And I probably wouldn't talk much about the picture itself. I would probably, if anything, talk about the feeling that I get when I walk in the room where the artwork is hung, right? Mm-hmm. And another way to put it is if we were going on a road trip to Florida, right, we wouldn't be going on a tour of gas stations, right? We just know that we got to stop at gas stations along the way because that is a fuel required to get to the destination. So when you understand that and you focus more about, okay, well, how do I define fulfillment? How do I define happiness? How do I define freedom? How do I define legacy, right? How do you define the things that matter? Mm. And then reverse engineering that, okay, well, in this country, at least how the world is constructed today, we're going to need fuel, i.e. financial resources to be able to get there, right? But the same way, you know, I'm not going to talk about the hammer and nails. It's the same way I'm not going to talk about, you know, how much money is in my account or the type of account that it's in. Those are just hammer and nails. Those those are just means to an end. What you care about is the lifestyle or the impact or the fulfillment that having those resources is going to allow you to do. So if we can get people to really hone into their dream, right? And understand that, hey, look, the only reason why we're trying to get you to understand this money stuff, because if you get it right, right, you can do more of this. Mm. And I think we, I think the problem is, especially in America, we get so hung up on the money, the number, and it's important, right? We got to have the financial resources, but we really got to understand where do we want to go and why, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't understand why, you might want to go there because of what you're paying attention to or somebody else's highlight reel. But if you can wrap your head around like, hey, this is what I want. Now, to your point, when you're a kid, you know, it's, you don't necessarily know exactly, right, what it is that you want out of life, but you can conceptualize like your dream. Right. And and I think when I was a kid, I used to hear this quote like, well, if money wasn't an object, what would you do? But me as a young black kid. Right. I, I, I knew I was answering that question, but it was always kind of just like an esoteric thing because I never thought that money would not be an object. Right. But when you can start to help people realize that, hey, this is just not a theoretical question. If you do these things right, you can get to a point where working for money becomes optional. Oh, I'm excited about that now, right? Because you're telling me that I can do more of this. I just got to figure this out, mm-hmm. right? And that holds true in everything, right? You want to win the championship in basketball, but you got to practice, 
You got to sharpen your skills. You got to work on your vertical. You got to work on deep. It's like, but they really just want to win the championship. And so when you can help people understand that, hey, this gets you there. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really, I talk with my hands. I'm sorry. Ah, you're good. Um, maybe it's helpful on a virtual podcast for sure. But <laughs> when you can help people connect those dots, like, hey, this is going to help you get to your dream. Then people are more excited and more incentivized to understand it versus it being like, oh, well, I'm, in a, I'm a young adult and I should save money because it's a good thing. And investing in the IRA makes sense and max out your 401k. Nobody cares. Nobody mm-hmm. cares if we're being honest, right? It's coming from someone who knows all that stuff in and out. What I've learned over the past 12 years is that those are just means to an end. You need to be able to sit and think and conceptualize what do you truly desire out of this life? And if I figure the money thing out, how is that going to help give me more fuel to get there? I love that. So start the dialogue with not so much, okay, what do I do with this money? But what do I really want? And then and then how do I, and then, okay, now what's required to get there? Right. And, and am I understanding that right? Yeah. Cause even think about it on, on a kid level, right? It's like you get your, I remember I was talking to my, telling my wife two days ago, I used to work at, when I was like 14 or something, 15, uh, at lazy boy furniture in the warehouse. And I would get like, I think every two weeks, I don't know why I remember this number. It's like $162.50 for the time that I worked. I was making like $6.50 an hour. And at the time, right, since I got two checks a month, one check would be for some shoes and then one check would be for an outfit to match it, right? (laughs) Or outfit or two. And because that's what I valued. But imagine going back in that time and then someone being able to sit down and ask me like, hey, well, and and, and unpack those questions. What do you really value? Like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want? Like, and then when I have answers, then I can say, well, hey, you realize that if you say you want to do this, you're going to need resources to align to that. So do you really value the shoes or do you value that? And then the child can start thinking like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what I I get it now. And they can start to realign and reimagine their priorities based upon being able to understand what it is they value. So I think it's very important to start there. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to glaze over the fact that it's important to understand the fundamentals of, of taxes and, you know, the accounts that you should invest your money in, but those just become just as important as understanding how, where, where to hold the, the, the nail and the hammer when you want to hang the artwork, right? It's just a means to an end, right? Once you get the basic skill set down, the most important thing is how is this going to map to this desired lifestyle? Because that's what's going to keep you locked in and motivated to keep mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. I have this dream and vision, not sure. Yeah, I've got this dream that in all schools across America, we mm-hmm. start putting exactly what you said, you know, cause I was just thinking about the money piece, but take what you said, which I mean, we could, t- which ties to the money for sure. And, and this is what is being discussed in classrooms at the middle school level. And it just stays yeah. in the classroom. It's not just something you take once and it's a one-time lesson. It's something that every year it's part of your yeah. education and even through college, because that's where I get nervous when I hear folks, my, I'm 29 and folks around my age that haven't had any exposure yet, or they don't know or they haven't been taught to think mm-hmm. about, okay, what are these things that I really value? What really brings me fulfillment? And right. I, that's what I would like to see changed in, in the world as it relates to your creating, really creating your destiny, which we can tie money and everything else into that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, money is, 
it's the fuel, right? It's, I mean, at the end of the day, I always joke with my wife, or at least I used to, I would say the money that is in our uh, major expense account, which is basically earmarked for travel or other major, ex- major expenses throughout the year. I said, what's in there will determine whether we're going to Myrtle Beach or the Maldives, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so money, most certainly, like let's not get it twisted. Money is a tool, a powerful tool when used correctly, a tool for good, a tool for impact, a tool for philanthropy, a tool for enjoyment. So I don't want to, I don't want to glaze over like I'm this, you know, hippie who thinks that like, oh, like money, we don't need it. And all we need is the trees. Like I'm not, no offense to anybody that considers themselves a hippie, but <laughs> I'm just being funny here. Right. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is what's most important is figuring out what you want, right? Put the blinders on, um, ignore the highlight reels from everybody else's social media, which is mostly smoke and mirrors, by the way, and figure out what you want. And right. And as you evolve, as you develop as a person, it's okay. That target's going to evolve, Right. For sure. But wherever you're at in life, think about what brings you happiness and all those things that we talked about. And then from there, whatever it is at that time, let's align most of your financial resources to help you get more of that. Right. That's mm-hmm. as simple as it goes. Right. If, if, if making other people smile is something that you care about, if being able to get more homeless people off the street, like whatever it is, it, again, it doesn't have to be just things that make you like are of your personal gain is things that you truly care about or truly are fulfilled by, but you're still going to need financial resources to do so. And if you understand how money works, then you probably can maximize the impact of those resources that you have, which will then inherently uncover the importance of learning about the skill set of money. But if we start with the skill set of money for the sake of just learning about money, you won't be able to stay committed on the path long-term. It has to be tied to something greater. Right. And I want to jump into, it's a good segue into a recent podcast episode that y'all had on Melon and Money, mm-hmm. where you talked about wealth building and what are the pillars to building wealth? Can you um, elaborate a little bit more on, on that and what that means and you know, how we interpret it? Yeah, sure, sure. So to, to your point, uh, I look at building wealth broken across five pillars. Uh, number one is income allocation. And, and that's just simply put, like based upon how much money is coming into your account, um, how much of that are you allocating towards your your wealth building goals, right? Versus consumption. Um, pillar number two is personal finance, right? So how are you managing the money um, that's coming into your account, right? Or do you have uh, an emergency fund, three to six months worth of your living expenses based upon your good money management? Do you have a solid credit score so that when you need to borrow money, you're able to borrow at the lowest rates, um, ideally borrowing to accelerate your wealth building or enhance your lifestyle, um, not purely for consumerism or to bridge your bridge the gap of what your cash flow is in producing. Um, and just really being able to be a good steward over the money that has uh, come to you, right? After you've made it. Um, then risk management, right? So like we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves against uh, uh, circumstances known and unknown, right? Whether you get hurt or sick, whether you, you know, pass away prematurely, you still want to leave a legacy. Uh, if somebody sues you, like, like you want to make sure that you have these things in place so that your financial plan becomes bulletproof, right? Um, then, of course, the wealth building pillar, the one that everyone's most excited about. And that includes things like um, investing in certain retirement accounts, like an IRA or a Roth IRA or uh, an employer-sponsored plan, whether that's an employer that you work for or if you're an entrepreneur and you set up your own. 
Um, and there's also, it also includes things like understanding how to leverage your assets, right. To be able to acquire more assets. Um, it includes things like, uh, what else is in there? There's so much in there. Oh yeah. Your different net worth, uh, targets, right? So your first hundred K in net worth, your first half a million in net worth, your first 1 million in net worth and being able to achieve those thresholds. And then last but not least, um, is kind of the, uh, the legacy pillar, right? Because, at the end of the day, we truly live in a great society when a man or woman plants a seed for a tree whose shade they'll never sit under. And so, you know, while we're building wealth for ourselves and for the lifestyle that we hope to be able to live while we're here, what really is impactful is knowing that your children's children's children are going to benefit from the seeds that you planted, right? That's something that you care about. And if you're tapped into my content or my, or my ecosystem, that's something I care about. That's not something you care about. Maybe I'm not the guy for you, but I am all about giving the next generation options and choices. So when this one asks them the question, if money wasn't an object, what would you do? They have a real answer. Well, money's not an object. So I can actually have the headspace to answer that question in a meaningful way, right? So that's what I'm about. That's what those, that's what those five pillars are. And that is how we're able to quantify the fact that we know that people who follow our education and insight will be able to achieve their, their wealth building goals. And I'm going to link that episode folks that are listening. I'm going to link the episode that George is referencing in the notes because he dives deep into each of those pillars that he mentioned. I'm going to poke on one because this is one that I don't fully, yeah, I don't fully understand it. And some folks mm -hmm. around that are around my age listening also ask these questions. So from the risk management piece, sure. leveraging life insurance or insurance as a as an investment vehicle, like sure. why is that important? And what are some things that we can uh, look at to educate ourselves there? Sure, sure. So, excuse me. So in general, general generally speaking, I always like to tell people that concepts govern specifics, right? And the concept is that you have something that is considered an asset. And because you have equity in said asset, you can leverage that asset to do other things, right? So the way that the insurance company looks at it is like, okay, well, if nothing else is guaranteed in this world is death, right? We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know at some point everybody's going to die, right? So if you're paying into this life insurance policy, which has to be what's considered a, a permanent policy, whether it's a uh, whole life or universal life or whatever the case may be. Um, what that means is the insurance company is going to say, all right, well, we know that you're entitled to half a million, 1 million, 1.5, whatever your policy value is, right? Not to mention, right, these particular policies have a cash, a cash accumulation benefit to where not only does it have the life insurance component if you're no longer here, but it also accumulates cash value while you're living. And so what the insurance company will allow you to do is they will allow you to borrow uh, against the value of your accumulated cash value in the policy, mm. right? So let's just say you have 20,000 in cash value and not to get into too many details on this episode, but basically the way it works is when you pay your regular insurance premium, a portion of that is going to go towards covering the insurance costs and a portion of that is going to go towards building your cash account. And if you have a good insurance agent, right? they're going to design it in a way that's optimized to be able to get as much cash in the policy as possible, right? Now, the caveat to that is most insurance agents get compensated more when they don't do it that way. Why? Because it's an insurance company, 
right? Mm -hmm. So they want you to spend more money on insurance. Insurance agent gets a bigger commission, but that's another story for another day. So just ask the right questions and say, hey, look, I want a high early cash value policy or I want a policy where it's optimized for the uh, cash value to grow faster, right? They're going to look at you like, damn, where'd you get that from? Just say, hey, I know a guy named George and he gave me some game. But nonetheless, right? So you can borrow against the value of that policy. Now, here's the key word. The key word is against, not borrow from. So if you have $10,000 in the policy, you're not taking the $10,000 out. Insurance companies, most of them have something called non-direct recognition, which means that when you borrow against the value of it, it's not directly recognizing the money that you borrowed from the policy, right? Right. And it's going to still pay you interest as if the entire $10,000 was still there. So you might have borrowed $4,000 to go start an Airbnb business or a Turo business or whatever it is that you wanted to do, right? You are borrowing the money. So there is going to be a fixed interest rate that you have to pay, but you're paying that interest back to yourself all while still getting a rate of return as if you still had the entire $10,000 in cash value in your policy, right? Now, here's the kicker. If you never pay back the full $4,000 or whatever the, the amount is in this example, right? You just are paying back the interest. The insurance company is okay with that because guess what? When you are no longer here, which is going to happen to all of us at some point, even if it's 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now, you're going to be entitled to that half a million to $2 million debt benefit, whatever it is that you have. So the insurance company is just able to true up that, true up that account. Okay, well, this person borrowed 4000 they're entitled to 1 million. We're going to give them 996,000, right? Because they never paid us back the 4,000. They paid us back the interest payments. They didn't pay us back the 4,000. Simple, right? And so this is actually a strategy that is used across all asset classes called buy, borrow, die, right? It's like you buy assets, right? You borrow against the value of them, right? And then when you die, the life insurance covers any outstanding debts that you have. I got that. That's good. So basically, if I understand, if I'm breaking it down real simple, the you want something that grows your cash value quickly. That cash value, I can what I equate that to is almost like that's my principal, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's my principal on a mortgage. It's going to an account where I'm, yeah, just we'll just call it principal. And mm -hmm. the actual insurance policy, that's the that's the interest. I'm not. I'm. There's no benefit to me. It's just here you go. Well, and, outside of the fact that you get a, a huge debt benefit, right? When you, when you know, right, you right. But having the product. So, right. and then if I've contributed $10,000, I can borrow up, let's just say I borrow half of that to go mm -hmm. buy five cars for Turo, but I'm still getting the benefit as if I have 10,000 invested in there. Correct. And then let's say that. I die tomorrow, my million dollar policy. They say, all right, Ryan, well, we'll give you, we'll give your your mom, dad, sister 995 grand. Okay. Correct. Cool. Oh, well, yeah, I think they'll be okay. Right? Yeah, I think they'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. Not to mention they'll still have whatever assets that you leverage to borrow money for as well. I like that. So because right. that's something that I know listeners and my friends that we have conversations like, should we get, should we have insurance yet? You know, does that really make sense? I'm healthy. Yeah. It been and we've kind of heard it being used as an investment option as well, but didn't really understand mm -hmm. it. But that helps make it real simple. So I like that a lot. And yeah. we're going through a very interesting time right now, as everyone mm -hmm. knows. In the markets, lots of swings. There's talks of 
recessions and uh, where where the market's going next. I know S and P is down about twenty three percent. I think it's at thirty eight hundred today. And I'm curious, you know, what's your take on what what are you telling people right now in terms of their investment strategy or what are some things people should be thinking about? Because I know we, we shouldn't be panicking. Right. But I'm curious, right. you know, what are some, what's, what's the dialogue that, that you're having with people to calm the nerves? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is like, regardless of what's happening around you, uh, has anything about your goals changed right as, as the fundamental thesis about where you're trying to go has that changed right if that hasn't changed right then that means our strategy to get there right should also not change because i had these conversations with my clients when times are good mm-hmm. right so when when the gravy train is moving i'm like hey you know doesn't doesn't always go like this right there are blips you know on the radar and so we are stress testing our strategy to say, hey, look, if this were to happen today, whether it's inflation, market crash, and it's so funny because I've been having this conversation for so long. We've been in a bull market for such a while, right? And everybody's like, oh, but it's so good. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> just hear me out. If these things were to happen, and I just go, go through the different stress tests, right? Does that change how we would approach any of these things, right? And if the answer is no, then we know that our strategy is intact. And if the answer is yes, then we then have the ability in real time to say, okay, well, what do we need to do now so that when that happens, this still isn't an issue? Going back to what I said about making your plan bulletproof. And so we're able to proactively put those measures in place so that when things like this happen, my clients aren't alarmed. I think I've had two clients maybe ask questions at most, right? Because we've we've had these conversations. Um, and I've, I've set the proper frameworks and the expectation, but for the average listener who doesn't have a relationship with an advisor, um, what are some things you should be thinking about, right? Number one is you should be thinking about, do I have, um, irreplaceable skills, right? Because in, in a recession, right. When there's, you know, economic, um, contraction, right. People start, start to look at like what's discretionary, right. Versus what is necessary, right. And you want to make sure that, you are always on the side of like essential, like, yo, I got to work with this person. I've got to pay this person. So ask yourself whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're an employee is what I'm doing, something that feels irreplaceable, right? Something that despite whatever economic turmoil is happening, that someone's going to need the skills that I have. If it's not an emphatic, yes, go acquire those skills. Right. And, and, and ask yourself, how can I become more valuable? Because what you appreciate appreciates. Right. You are the first asset at the end of the day. Right. You're the money making machine. The only reason why you're the money making machine is because someone says whatever it is that you can do is valuable enough for me to keep paying. you. So you want to make sure that you have irreplaceable skills. That's the first thing. The second thing you want to do is I think for good measure is really just, you know, take a second look at how your money is being spent. Right. And just ask yourself, you know, maybe when times were good and, you know, it was, it was things were a little bit more fluffy, like it made sense to just like let let this kind of go as is. But maybe it's time to, you know, just further scrutinize or at least have a second look at where your money's going. Are there some subscriptions I have yet to cancel? Are there some bills or things that just aren't really essential right now? Right. Going back to my first point. Right. 
being able to eliminate those things that are non-essential. Um, then the third thing I would do is I would actively research um, opportunities, right, that might be created as a result of whatever the economic turmoil is. Because oftentimes, people often think of a recession in terms of like it being bad for everyone, right? But in a lot of times, for those who are prepared, it can be a great opportunity. And this isn't about a zero-sum game of like, it's bad for this person, it's good for me, right? But it's more so just identifying, okay, either one, maybe this person has gotten everything they wanted out of a certain asset and, and they're looking at, hey, you know what? I want to have more cash on hand. I want to be conservative and I'm selling. It's not always because they're in a distressed position, right? Sometimes that's the case. Maybe someone's over leveraged and they got to like, you know, move some things around. But sometimes it could just be a person's like, you know what? I want to have cash on hand for opportunities as well. I'm going to get this off my balance sheet to have cash, but that might be a good opportunity for you, right? At that time, relative to what your goals are. So you want to have, you know, cash available, right? By acquiring those skills, eliminating unnecessary expenses to create what I call an opportunity fund, right? And you also want to make sure that your emergency fund is beefed up because no matter how smart you are, no matter how great you think you are, there is going to be an economic contraction. And as a result of it, you just never know what that might mean for your money flow. And going back to the beginning of the podcast and keeping your highs low and your lows high, right? Being able to have that cash reserve to weather that storm is going to be quintessential. I love that. And the emergency fund, I've also heard you reference it as peace of mind fund. Mm -hmm. It's because so much of this goes back to mindset and discipline when we're talking about wealth and and money. And with the emergency fund, would you recommend if someone doesn't have one at all right now, Mm -hmm. would you say, hey, get to that three months essential expenses number and and the sweet spot is six months essential expenses or is it three months income, six months income? What do you, what's your rule there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say at least, I mean, three, people say three to six months, so it's palatable, but like you need, you need at least six, because if you think about it, if you were to truly like get laid off or something, right. You, you don't know how fast you're going to get another job, right. Especially in an environment of economic contraction, right? You just don't know. And so three months is really tight, you know, because it's like, all right, well, I got laid off the first month. I'm just trying to like shake off the feeling that I got laid off. <laughs> Right. Then the second month, I'm putting fillers out there, I'm putting applications. And then the third month, maybe, hopefully, you hear about, you know, it's not going to, it's not always going to go how you think it's going to go. Yeah. Right. So I'd rather be overprepared in that scenario. So three months is like, hey, boom, like I got breathing room, but you do want to build upon that. Um, so I, I would say at least six months. Love that. Six months. So I've got a couple things and then wanted to wrap it up. When we're talking about just building on rules, I heard you on the wealth building episode of the podcast of your uh, recent podcast. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm spoiling it for people that should be listening to it, but I've picked something out of there that was really cool. And when it comes to uh, traveling and then also with, you know, let's say keeping your, your highs low, your lows high and preparing sure. for that Murphy's law. One thing right. that I love with traveling is... Mm-hmm. You mentioned that even when you travel on and using points where it's, it's quote unquote free, you still will take the amount of money that you would have spent on those flights, hotels, and move it into a, a savings account as if that, you know, hey, I didn't spend that money, but I was going to spend that money. So I'm going to move it over here to this account. I thought that 
that was kind of like a next level hack and a way to build your savings. Do you have any other, I'd call them hacks like that with, with your money and building up your savings? Yeah. I mean, so following that same trend, another one is when you go through the exercise of identifying expenses that you can eliminate is immediately transferring that money that you already could afford to spend on whatever that was to savings or an investment account immediately. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, for example, I had this shamefully, this storage unit that I just forgot about and I was paying on it, paying on it, paying on it. And then eventually randomly I was looking at my transaction. I was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't canceled that yet. Um, and so what I immediately set up a, a, a transfer for the same exact dollar amount, right. To my savings account and then canceled it. Right. Because then it's, it's a zero sum game at that point. It's like, I'm not, it's not, I'm not going to feel the impact of my budget because I was already paying it anyway. So let me go ahead and capitalize on that. Um, another quick little hack is I just posted something about this on Instagram is standardizing your savings and investing rate, right? So let's say you say no matter what rain, sleet or snow, I'm at least saving 25% of my income saving slash investing, right? So when you make 50 grand, right, you have your 25% that you're saving, but then what happens when you make hundred, right? You're guaranteed you have a baked in way to ensure that even if lifestyle creep happens a little bit, you're still in this example, saving uh, 100% more than you were saving before or double than you were saving before, right? And so on and so forth. Now, me personally, I try to skew it to where the more I make, the percentage of my lifestyle expenses come down and my savings and investing rate goes up, mm-hmm. i.e. pillar one, income allocation. But at least in this way, from a percentage standpoint, if nothing else, you know that as your income increases, you're guaranteed to save and invest more. So those are a couple hacks. I love that. Yeah, I always like to, anytime I get a, a raise or a bonus, is pay my savings and investments first. Mm-hmm. So I've had this budget that I've maintained since graduating college seven years ago now. And it and it looks a little different now that I don't have any more student loans, but right. I figured, hey, even when I was paying those student loans, I was already used to getting rid of that because I went really aggressive with mine. And some months I was paying over a thousand dollars. It's like, hey, I want to be debt-free as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And once I got out of debt, I didn't say, okay, $1,000 to go play with. I'm like, I'm already used to not having that $1,000. Right. So now it just goes straight. You know, It's not going to Sally Mae's pocket anymore. Right. It's going to Ryan's IRA or to you know, being able to buy, to buy a house. And then I'm still living off of my salary from you know, effectively from three years ago because every time salary increases come up, it's just straight to savings. Don't even, maybe a little bit, I'll take a little bit. But (laughs) so one more thing, and it's because getting people to think about, I just, I like, I love focusing on mindset and Mm -hmm. as it really, especially as it relates to wealth building. And you said something super powerful going back to the Shans podcast that I want you to elaborate Mm -hmm. on this and what it really means. The value of anything is the amount of life that you're willing to trade for it. Yeah. That's, from, that's from you. Now, what yeah. does that mean? And when should people be thinking about that? Because we talked about making some of these purchases, but mm-hmm. with that in mind, value of anything is the amount of life you're willing to trade for it. Talk about that and what that means, because that just got me thinking. That was one that I played back a few times. I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. The value of anything is the amount of life you're willing to trade for. So let's just put it in perspective, right? Like, most people, even again, even if you're an entrepreneur or you're a salaried employee, whatever, like you can kind of wrap your head around 
like what's your time is worth, right? You can just, you can back into it. It's like, okay, if I make 50 grand a year, 70 grand a year, and I'm on average working this many hours, an average hour of my time is worth X, right? And so then when you think about the things that you spend your money on, right? Let's say like a car payment, for example, right? And let's say that the car payment is $600 a month, right? So then when you kind of back into how much, hour of your time is worth, which arguably is priceless, but we're just kind of trying to quantify it here, right? Then what ends up what ends up happening is you start to realize and connect the dots that whenever I spend the money, I'm not spending $600 on the car payment, right? I'm spending 20 hours of my life, mm. right? So it's like, whoa, that's a paradigm shift, right? And there's a homework assignment for everybody listening. It's like, go look in your closet, go look through your transactions, Look at these things that you spend money on and ask yourself, when you look at it from the lens of how much life you are trading for that expense, can you personally quantify that it's worth it, right? And then here, let's take it a step further, using the car example. When you look at how much, especially now, you know, us just kind of coming out of or being in this weird phase of the pandemic or whatever, right? Like, I know that I didn't drive nearly as much as I did before, right? When, when in the beginning or before the pandemic. And so then you got to ask yourself, okay, I'm, I'm paying $600 for this thing. And then am I even getting the value out of it? What I, what I can almost guarantee you, if you go back and do the math, is that when you look at how much you use the thing that you're spending the money on, you're not even getting the value out of it right? Relative to the amount of life that you're trading for, which is crazy because what it would mean is that you you would need to get at least 20 hours in this example, right? Of use time with the vehicle to at least say I'm breaking even, right? With yeah. the amount of life that I'm trading for. And I can guarantee that you're not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's kind of the extra step, but just really asking yourself mm-hmm. like, man, is this expense worth it? Because it's not the face value cost, it's the amount of life that I'm trading for, right? I.e. the hours that I have to work to cover that particular expense. And that, when I had that kind of epiphany and awakening, um, it was a game changer for me. You look at money completely differently. I love that. And yeah, I'm going to, that just got me thinking. When I heard you say that, I was thinking about being in a mall and if everyone knew that, you know, people be looking at those, let's just cave pair of Jordans, yeah. whatever. Like, okay, that's 10 hours. That's maybe I should create like a little, like a little app or something, like a little calculator. Or yeah. Where you can predetermine this is an exclusive for the podcast. Right? <laughs> you can predetermine like, okay, I make this much. This is my salary. And this is how many hours I work a month. So based upon that, my time is worth X. So then you then it has like a little barcode you can scan or just enter in I'm a visionary. <laughs> you just enter in the amount of whatever it is. Okay, this is 1.5 hours. You're like, oh, I can justify that. That's cool. I, I waste that. I waste that on an Instagram show or not Instagram, but a Netflix series. Okay, whatever. Right. But then you can start to back in. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I, you got to. I, I can see it. Uh, literally, I, I saw the app in my head just yeah, as you were saying that. Down. I'm going to write that down. And you got the recording okay. too, but that's good. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. For I sure. like that. I like that. <laughs> Look out for the app. We won't have it in the notes yet unless you get it by Monday, but right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So, well, George, yeah. you've dropped so much knowledge here. Is there, how do people keep up with you and your, and support your mission? And what are some things that you're really excited for in the future? Yeah, yeah. So you can keep up with me on Instagram. I'm George Atchampong Jr. 
on Instagram. I'm sure he'll put that in the show notes because I know my last name is not the easiest one to remember. <laughs> so you can keep up with me there. Um, if you want, if you're really excited about what we're building over at Melon and Money, um, you can head over to uh, melaninmoney.com. It'll have everything there from our merchandise to how you can join the club uh, or even listen to and subscribe to our podcast. It drops every single Wednesday. Um, or you can also follow Melon and Money on Instagram as well. Um, as far as what I'm really excited about, I'm just really excited to continue to uh, just hammer away at this really, really big mission um, that we have and, and, you know, having conversations like these that spark, you know, even new ideas, right? So this conversation sparked a new idea. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to continue this message, um, be on platforms like this to share it as far as possible so that, you know, it can continue to have that ripple effect that we talked about and be able to look up one day and see that, well, you did your job so well that you're not needed as much anymore. Um, which would make me happy, right? Because I don't have an ego associated with this impact. So I love that. And George, thank you so much for joining and thank you for the impact that you are making and that you are committed to make for the future. That's really something that stands out to me the most. And I love to, I loved having the opportunity to have you here and learn from you and, uh, and for the audience as well. So uh, folks, stay in touch with George. Keep up with the impact and win today. Thanks for tuning in.